0: Grab your attention. You can continue your conversation over a cup of coffee at the end. But right now I'd like you just to reluctantly, I know, turn around, try and face this way. Thank you. Christmas is well and truly over now, isn't it? Yeah, even though this morning a number of people said Happy New Year to me, it feels like that was a long time, weeks ago, doesn't it? And we're into January now, which I'm glad to say the sun is shining out there. Normally, it's well if you live up north, I suppose, it's wet and gray. It still is, apparently, there you go. So thank God you live in London. Um, but there's much more to enlighten us than even the sun shining today, because you've already heard and you are obviously well aware that we are beginning our week of prayer. Do you know what I wrote in my notes here? I wrote with a square bracket round it in capital letters enthusiastic cheering with three exclamation marks. <laughs> But we are beginning our week of prayer, whether you are enthusiastic or not. You should be, you know. I'm Genuinely, I am really excited by this prospect. I'm praying about the prayer week that it repositions us as a church. It repositions us as a praying people. Not that we're not a praying people, but we can move on, move forward. Um, There's loads of opportunities to pray. This is the program you'll be getting as you leave, if you haven't got one already. Those Big, bold blocks of colour represent different prayer meetings at different times of different types. Some, The first one on Monday is designed for us as the whole church to come together. So let's look to that. But there are others just for our uh, Connect communities. There's one there where we're praying with other local churches gathering at Drummond Road. There's lots on there. But can I encourage you to come along to to at least a couple of those prayer meetings. You know, you, you, can, you, can, you can forget Celebrity Big Brother for just a week, can't you? Forever is a good advice, thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that box set of Homeland, which was a very precious Christmas present, it can still be there next the week after, can't it? Let's put a focus, seriously guys, let's put a focus on this week of prayer. And and look to God to reposition us as City Hope Church into a stronger position. Amen? Amen. So, today is the second of three sermons looking at one of the Apostle Paul's prayers for, from his first letter to the Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica. Um, and Chris started this off so well last week, didn't he? Um, we're going to be continuing, like I say, this week and then Vic will be following up the following week. And it, just again, it focuses us on prayer. It focuses our, us as City Hope on, on prayer. I was reading, as part of my preparation, I was reading um, a book by Richard Foster um, called, conveniently, Prayer. Um, and, and in his book, in the preface to his book, he, he writes about... What is the chapters to come? And he said, he said this Richard Foster said, talking of his book, this book is not about definitions or methods and techniques of prayer. He said, no, this book is about a love relationship and an enduring, continuing, growing love relationship with the great God of the universe. To the effective prayers we need. To be effective prayers, we need to be effective lovers. Now, he doesn't mean lovers. He means, you know, it's like, it's like I would be, you know, I would, I would say to be good at loving others, we need to be good at praying for others. That's what he's saying. Is He's linking that with a love for God which motivates our prayers and out of our prayers, a love for others. It's a mutual meshing together, isn't it? And the prayer we're going to look at this morning focuses on love. An overflow of our love, actually, to other people. Prayer inextricably linked with love. So let let me read um, the, the passage that we're looking at over these three weeks. I'm going to read It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 9 to verse 13 and then highlight verses 11 and 12 which is what we're going to look at today. So 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 9 says this How we thank God for you. Because of you we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day we pray earnestly for you asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. May God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he as a result make your hearts strong, blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. And we're going to look at those two verses, verses 11 and 12 this morning. Let me just read those again. May God our Father and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. He writes to the church. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Just as our love for you overflows. And even in those two verses you can hear the sort of tenderness that the apostle has for those believers, those new believers, that, that embryonic church in Thessalonica. You know, last, last week, Chris went over some of the background of this book, or the, you know, the book of 1 Thessalonians, or the letter to the Thessalonians. Paul, just to remind us, Paul had been in Thessalonica teaching and equipping the new believers, and then a persecution broke out, and he had to do a runner in the middle of the night, Quick, they escorted him out out of the town, double quick. But Paul was so concerned about those new believers that he he sent Timothy back to them to see how they was doing. And fortunately, Timothy came back with a good report. They was doing okay. And after commending, in in this letter of 1 Thessalonians, after commending the Thessalonian Christians, um, in these verses, Paul writes to them, beginning to look forward he said some positive things and encouraging things about him in the early part of the book and now he's beginning to look look forward and as we go forward into this week of prayer and beyond let's allow these two short verses to influence our prayer life to encourage us and to stir us and to reposition us you know we're a privileged people we, we, we can freely pray in this nation for one another. You know, we can pray for the body of Christ. We're obviously a privileged people as Christians because we have direct access to the sovereign, almighty, creator God. You couldn't get much more privileged than that, could you? You know, we can ask him and expect him to answer. We can ask him to act on our behalf for, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, whether they're on the other side of the world or the other side of the street, we can go to him confident that he will respond. We can pray that God would help them and us to love more like he does. We're going to look at that in just a minute. And that's what Paul, Paul is doing here. You know, in verse ten of that passage, Paul has already said that he's praying night and day for those Christians. You know, it's people he, he hardly knows really. He, he hadn't spent much time with them, yet he's moved to just pray for them whenever he can, night and day, to cry out to his Father for them, it, which is challenging to us, isn't it? You know, it's, it, it, I find it difficult to, you know, it's difficult to pray for people whose names I can hardly pronounce, who I've never met. And yet Paul is crying out to these people. He's passionate about the church. And there's a challenge for us right there, that he would stir it, be stirred to pray as he does. So he's already said, I'm praying night and day. And then he says in verse 11 of the, the passage we just read, May God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. He wants to see them again. His prayer is to be with them again. You know, even after all the aggravation that when the mob and the riots and he had to do, quickly do a runner in fear of his life, he still wants to go back. That's a bit of a hallmark of Paul's life if you read through his missionary journeys. You know, one time he was left for dead outside one place and he, they prayed for him, whether he was actually dead or not, he weren't in a good way. His mates prayed for him and he got up and what did he do? He went straight back in. It's a passion for the church. So even after all the, all the aggravation and the riots, he wants to go back. Why? It says so in the passage. He wants to fill in the gaps in their faith. He wants to strengthen. He wants to encourage them in their walk with God. And in verse 12, which we're going to look at as, as we go through, he wants the Lord to make their love for one another and for other people grow and overflow. He's got a big heart for the church, hasn't he? So I just want to I just want to look at three I'm just, three little points through these two short verses. The first one I've just titled "Pray and Act." You know what I like about these these verses here, it, 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 the pr- this prayer is the way it mixes prayer and action. As you read through it, he doesn't just pray that the Thessalonians are strengthened in their faith. He 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 prays that he'd be able to play something in strengthening them. That he's got a role to play in that. It's, it's just remind, when I was reading it, I was just reminded of the story of Isaiah. Do you remember Isaiah in chapter six where, where he has that glorious vision of the throne, the throne of God, and 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 is that that image of, you know, he says, I'm a sinner, a man of unclean lips, and the, his mouth is touched with the coal. And and then he, he's, then, then God speaks to him and says, who will, who will I send? Who will go for me? And he says, here I am, send me. It's like, oh, I'll do it. I'll go. I see the need. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll meet it. Of course I'm going to pray for it. But I'll try, I'll do my bit. Listen, prayer isn't a substitute for Christian work or Christian service. It's part of it. Now, wouldn't it be good if we all had this attitude to be the answer to our prayers wherever possible? Right? You know, most of us here are not called to cross-cultural ministry like Dave and Leslie, who go to all these different nations, to be honest with you, I wouldn't particularly want to go to. Right? Most of them. (laughs) Right? You know, hardly any of us will be able to, to meet let alone minister to all those people that we pray for in, in North Africa and in Guinea and in Ukraine and many other nations, just, just linking with Dave and Les. But nevertheless, this attitude of being the answer to our prayers, where possible, should be in all of us. You know, we can all do something. Let's bring it right down, to, right down to earth, you know, as we pray, say, in our connect groups, right? You're gathering in your connect group and we're praying for people that we know, people in the room with us probably. Could it be that you are the answer to your own prayers? You know, maybe it's just a friendly phone call to ask how their week went. Was it any better than last week? You know, we prayed on Wednesday. How's it gone? That can mean a lot to people, can't it? Or just a a quick text message, you know, just to say, oh, you're doing really well. The offer of practical help or even a financial gift or or whatever it might be. You know, you you sit there praying for something and then you could think, actually, I could be the answer to that prayer. I could make a difference. You know, it's not always going to be the case, is it? If you're praying for the church in Ukraine, like I said, you're you're probably not going to be the physical answer to that prayer, but it doesn't doesn't negate the prayer. But in some situations, you can be. So Paul's writing to these people, I want to come amongst you, I want to make a difference. Don't wait to be asked, either. Sometimes people are in such a state, and I've seen this, Sometimes people don't want to impose in their thinking, don't want to ask. Be wise, but don't necessarily wait to be asked for help. And also, if it's the other way around, don't expect people to know your need without telling them. And I know there are spiritual gifts that give us insight and knowledge sometimes, but it doesn't always happen. And I can think of times where people have been in hospital... And I've not told no one. And I've then just been a little bit upset that no one's come and visited them or prayed for them. You think, well, I didn't know. So we can be very practical about this, can't we? You know, there's lots of situations. What about the mum in your Connect community who asks the group to pray because she's just struggling a bit with life? It's not even specific. Right? Are you just going to pray? Or would it help if you took the kids out for a few hours or babysat one evening so she could go out? It's very down-to-earth, isn't it, to pray and act. See, all these actions should be done alongside our prayers for one another. And you know, as far as I was thinking about this, Jesus Jesus is the perfect example. You know, we, we read in the book of Romans... He intercedes for us. Jesus is praying for us. But we also know that he definitely acted on our behalf as well, don't we? He didn't just stay in heaven praying. He came to this earth, didn't he? He came to this earth, lived a sinless life, and suffered and died a cursed death on a cross, taking the punishment we deserve defeating sin and three days later he was alive again defeating death itself Jesus definitely acted on our behalf didn't he he didn't just limit himself to praying for us important as that is so pray and act what else can we get from this passage here well just briefly really pray and persevere keep going Right. In in the previous chapter, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul said, we wanted very much to come to you. And he said, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. The devil intervened and it's, and, and hindered him, stopped him, it seems. We don't know how. But said, But now Paul's prayer is that our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus would clear the way for us to come to you. Satan's hindrances didn't stop him praying. In fact, you could argue he prayed all the more. He kept on with passionate prayer. And let's not give up when things go wrong. Things get difficult. Things are tough. And obviously as the church, we've got one another. And we can turn to each other and say, I'm struggling with this. Every, t- every turn it seems it goes wrong. barrier barriers put in my way. It's like the devil's getting at me. Of course, we then we talk to others and we can pray some more into that specifically, but don't let that stop you praying generally either. Sometimes we have to grit our teeth, don't we? Sometimes when we really don't want to do it, think no, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna pray anyway. So let's pray all the more. When things get tough, think no, I'm gonna pray. Whether it's tough for you or tough for people in your group or whatever it may be in your family, keep praying. And this next week, there's lots of opportunities to practice that prayer. So pray and act, pray and persevere. The third point I want to make, and spend a little bit more time on this, is to pray and love. Pray for an overflow. Of love. That's what Paul prays. He prays that there be an overflow of, of love among that young church in Thessalonica. He's, and may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Just as our love for you overflows. He's just expressing that love again. Paul had hardly any time to teach those new believers in Thessalonica before he was forced to leave. He didn't have that much time with them. And it's just interesting that when he writes this letter, he, you know, he could have prayed that they'd understand any number of important doctrines. But what's the main thrust of his prayer recorded here? What's the most important thing to him, maybe? Certainly the thing he writes down, he prays that their love would increase and spill over to one another and to the world around. It's easy to say. It's a bit harder to do, I guess, isn't it? Their love would grow and overflow for one another, he says. And that's for the fellow believers. And for all people. And I would say that's for people who are not yet believers. A bit later on in the letter, in, in chapter 5 of the, the, of the same, same letter, he writes, just to underline it really, see that no one pays back evil for evil, but always tries to do good or always tries to be kind to each other and to all people. He really does stress this, doesn't he? You know, this, this is often a hard and loveless world we live in. And you don't have to meet too many people to realize that. We, we, we have it good, you know, as Christians in, in, the, in the community of believers. It's tough out there for lots of people, hard, lonely loveless you know deep unqualified genuine Christian love is a very rare commodity in this world that we live in but when it's demonstrated it's a megaphone to the world when it's demonstrated to our f- to uh, to one another and to our neighbors and to our colleagues l- honestly d- d- it, it speaks, Volumes to them. They may not even show it, they may not even appreciate it, but let me tell you, it does. Right? So, how are we going to show that love? I suppose this is the bit that Chris Nicholson referred to last week, wasn't it? The secret. Or next week, no. (laughs) How are we going to show that love? Well, we can bring it down to something really simple and very practical. Start by sharing your lives with others. Start by getting to know other people. Start within the church. Get to know their joys, get to know their sadness, get to know their pain, their strengths, their weaknesses. And as you do that, both in the church and outside the church, you'll begin begin to find opportunities just to show some of the love that Jesus has poured into you. It will overflow from you as you're praying. And as you see the needs, you'll meet them. You'll meet them spiritually, you can meet them practically, you can meet them emotionally. And that way you'll show that Christian love that's been poured into, into you. You won't just, you won't be able to do it on a Sunday only. Obviously, this is part of our relationship building. But this is very, this is what, an hour and a half, two hours at most on a a Sunday. You know, when people arrive and you smile and you say, morning, how are you? And they go, fine. You think, no, you're not. Who's said that before? I'm fine. And you think, I'm not fine but you probably haven't got the level of relationship where you want to open up to that person and speak to them and and it's probably not the right place to start spilling your life and weeping while Vic's trying to desperately gather us to start the first song. That's why we meet together in our connect groups and our connect communities. So we have other contexts where we can get to know one another, where we can invite people to our homes or invite ourselves to other people's homes. So we can get to know each other. And then we can find a context and an opportunity to show love, to, for love to overflow to one another. The same love that God gives to us, we, are, we should be offering other, everyone else around us. People we come into contact with, looking for opportunities to show love. It may be a very small thing, it may be an ongoing thing. Let's let's, as we pray, let's think, how can I love this person? How can I love this person? Some people aren't easy to love, are they? Right? That's just the way it is. But Jesus doesn't make any exceptions, it seems. He's put his love in us. Let's let it overflow to those around us. What does it say in Jesus? John 13, now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. It's a commandment, not a suggestion or a hint. If you're a follower of Jesus, you must love everybody, whether you like them or not. It's the same, in the same way Christ loved us. We were his enemies, weren't we? Because of, our, because of our wickedness and our sin. And yet his love to us was complete. So we have to accept people completely, love them unconditionally, forgive them totally, and consider them extremely valuable. And even now you're probably thinking of someone think, cruel, I don't think they're very valuable. They're horrible. You don't know my boss or whatever it might be. I'm not that's not me speaking about my boss, by. <laughs> <laughs> Loving others in this way will transform our relationships and it will transform us as a church. It's not that we're in a bad place, I don't think we are. But we can be in a better place, can't we? Because Jesus always wants to move us from one degree of glory to the next and to the next. Right? God never stops loving us does he he never stops being patient with me he never stops believing in me he never stops hoping for the best of for my life he never gives up on me hallelujah and that's what God expects us to do for other people we can't do that without him can we without his grace without prayer you know, that, that passage in, that's um, always read at weddings, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 13. What's love like? Love never stops being patient. Well, we can apply that. L- that means we, we love, that means love extends grace to people. We need to offer grace to other, others. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love never stops believing. That means it expresses faith. You tell someone, even, even though we're having a tough time, I'll never stop believing in him love never stops hoping that means love expects the best this is the love we should show are you expecting the best in your in your marriage or in your in your family in your connect group in the church do you expect the best love never stops hoping and love never gives up that means love endures the worst And so many marriages today, when it gets bad, when it gets difficult, somebody does a runner. Love never gives up. And it can mean you look at the other person and say, we threw gritted teeth sometimes, you can throw everything at me, but I'm going to keep loving you no matter what. But that gives God opportunity to move though, don't it? We need to get... To the prayer meetings, we need to get to the connect groups and the connect communities, we need to share our lives, we need to hang out together and love one another and build one another up, don't we? Have you ever seen maybe you've experienced this? Have you ever seen a building that's been renovated? Maybe your home has had a Big old makeover, totally renovated. You know, new plaster, rewired, new plumbing, a lovely new kitchen, knocking that wall down and opening up those rooms. And when it's all done, you look and think, man, this is fantastic, right? That building, which was good, has become great. What a renovation. We'll see a breathtaking renovation in the church If we make it our commitment to pray and not put people down, except on our prayer list, to to love, to serve, all the stuff we've been talking about, all the stuff that Paul writes to the Thessalonians about. And we would see a renovated church, and not that it's bad, I want to stress that, but it can be even better. You know, some houses which were fit for purpose in the middle of the 20th century need a massive makeover to make them fit for purpose in the 21st century. That wall's not needed anymore. I need a nice new kitchen. And then people go, wow. People to go, wow, a renovated City Hope Church, as we are a praying church. That's why Paul prays this prayer again and again. And it, this similar prayer surfaces in different parts of the New Testament. In one form or another, in different letters. So City Hope, as we go into this next week and beyond, let's pray for an overflow of love. Let's pray and persevere when it gets tough. And let's act on our prayers and be the answer to our prayers wherever we can. Amen? Amen.